This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, May 18th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And States of reopening, reopening economic activity is resuming in phases, and there's still a lot of uncertainty regarding what the economic conditions will look like going forward, and that means you're likely to see market volatility. You've seen that over the past, you could say three months, but even over the past couple of weeks, you've seen big sell-offs, big rallies. Uh, remember, volatility isn't just to the downside. Volatility can mean to the upside as well. It's just magnitude of price movement. Now, as investors, here's an important question to ask yourself, a question that you know other traders are certainly debating. And when our economy does get back to, up to speed, what does it look like? And what areas of the economy will be transformed? Certain industries may never recover. Some will take longer than others. Some will be reconfigured. And a new a new normal. Remember uh, post-financial crisis? Who was it? Uh, it was Bill Gross from PIMCO. He coined the term the new normal. And I think that's, uh, in, in a lot of ways, that was more about the financial system back then and the general economic growth. But the new normal in post-COVID world is different for every industry. Some will benefit. Some won't. Some will be largely unaffected. Obviously, the restaurant area, probably drastically affected, right? Uh, And unfortunately, it impacts the lowest income workers as well, typically. So, how does that feed into fiscal policy. And our main talking point today is in regards to that, you know, about where are we in the financial financialization of our government debt and deficit? What are the different structures that are out there? Where are we headed? And when and if inflation will rear its ugly head again. You know, we talked the past couple of weeks about that, that this next phase is likely to mean inflation at some point, once we get past this kind of deflationary shock that we're in. But what will that look like? And how will you know that inflation will be around the corner? So we're going to unpack a lot today. It's a lot of market news, a lot of financial questions. So we want to hear from you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you give us a call, ask your question on today's show, or you can leave a message on our 24-hour listener line, and we'll answer it on the next show. I'm Justin Klein, and through this Invest Talk radio program and podcast, I can help you become an inv- a better investor. That's how Steve and I work every day, is to help you become a better investor, and we do that with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success, and we are different from other 
financial advisors because we are dedicated to this unbiased guidance. You know, we only recommend strategies for our clients that we implement for ourselves. Call it parallel investing. Now that I've set things up, I'm here ready to answer your investing and finance questions. 888-99-CHART is our anytime listener line, live or after hours. Now, because of COVID-19, stay at home orders. Steve and I postpone all travel trips, but if you do want to jump on a phone call, a Skype call, a Jive meetings call, there are a lot of ways to connect digitally to, in today's world, and we'd be happy to do so to look over your, your strategy, look over your portfolio, give you some feedback on what will and won't work in this particular market. So if you want to set that up, just head over to investtalk.com. Now, my main talking point today concerns, once again, the primer on quantitative easing, what that means, and when central banks do it, how does that flow into the system? Right? How does that affect individuals, businesses, government policy, and thus how much reaches the individual person? How much gets stuck out there in the ether? And we're going to touch on all of that today. I think that's a, it's a big one, especially after, what, 60 Minutes uh, interview with Jerome Powell last night. Basically said, yeah, we print money digitally. Uh, I think for the average person, that might shock them. But it's been going on for you know, more than a decade now. Also, another kind of lesson to be learned. It's uh, from UBS, and they had this thing called the yield enhancement strategy, and it kind of blew up in some investors' faces, and we're going to talk about what that looked like and why. Also, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway is dumping Goldman Sachs and a bunch of other holdings in other companies. Why? And what kind of message does that send? So that's uh, ultimately... Uh, what we're going to talk about today, but I'll, but I want to know what's on your mind. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. Such on the market today, we had a pretty strong up day. The Nasdaq was up only about two percent. That was actually the weakest area of the marketplace. S and P was up three, and small caps were up six percent. Transportation up seven and a quarter. A lot of this was on the back of the promise of more stimulus coming out of the Federal Reserve. Uh, and thus, better economic activity, better support. There's also optimism around uh, drug therapies for COVID-19, but once again, that's just, uh, that's may or may not happen. I wouldn't count on it, but it's something that the market certainly reacted to today. Let's go to Heather in Portland. She is looking at... Hexo Corporation. You looking to buy it or do you own it? What do you know about them? Hi. Uh, well, I I own it, and uh, so today they made a couple of announcements, and I don't I don't know what that means. How it relates to um, you? Know, I don't know what it means as far as you know what it's going to do to the stock. So they announced early conversion options. Debentures and then after market close, they propose public stock offerings. 
got it. Well, the public stock offering, that one's easy. They're going to issue shares. They're going to dilute you, the shareholder. Okay. Now, how much are they going to issue? I'm not sure. Uh, now, this is always a risk when you're holding public companies, especially public companies that don't make money, right? Uh, that need capital. And if they're not making money, they, they're eventually going to need capital and need to raise it from somewhere, uh, either by selling off assets, by borrowing it from a bank or in the bond market, or by issuing equity. Uh, so that's, that's basically what Hexo announced after hours, which isn't good for you as a shareholder, right? Because now your small percentage ownership in the company just got a little bit smaller. And without any commensurate, commensurate increase in profits, revenue, income, etc. And, and that, that's obviously an issue. Now, this is a Canadian cannabis company, Hexo Corporation, very small, $213 million market cap. Last quarter did $17 million in sales and never made money. So it's always been a, it's been a loss maker. Doesn't mean they won't ever make money. I'm sure, uh, you know, if they, they keep going the way they do uh, with the growth, they will. But that may be next year, maybe next decade. I don't know. Uh, they make peppermint oil, sprays, marijuana power, powder, and dried flowers. So they're, they're making the, the, the raw product. Uh, and I, what was the other news you said? Uh, they announced early conversion options for debentures. Gotcha. Okay. So kind of, uh, I have to look at the details on that, but that's, uh, it's probably the, the same thing, right? Uh, it's diluting shareholders. Um, so, you know, this is once again, it's a, it's, it's a loss making company. It's probably going to continue to do this. I don't know how much they've, they'll, they'll raise, uh, what the pricing was at. Um, but in the long run, that could be good. It could be a source of capital that could launch them into profitability. Wouldn't count on it. Um, but, uh, that's basically what happened today. Thanks for the call, Heather. Listen to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein and Steve Pease and I rotate host duties here on Invest Talk. Seems to work out well, and it gives listeners a little exposure to each of our commentary on a regular basis. So I encourage you to tell your friends about the program and our special April bonus show podcast. It's called the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. We answer 29 questions at a fast pace. The download is free, just like all Invest Talk podcast programs. You can head over to investtalk.com and check those out. But now I'm here, ready to take your finance investing questions at 888 chart. Listening to Invest Talk. It's Monday. Justin Klein is here. And now more states are reopening their economy. There has been some open revolt in some cities and counties. So, where's it all going? And what does it mean for market investors? Steve and Justin welcome your calls. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Let's go to Robert in Pleasanton. How you doing, Robert? I'm doing well, Justin. How are you? I'm doing well as well. I, I, it looks like uh, my engineer typed in HRCN, but I don't see that symbol. Can you give me a... Uh, there we go, HRZN. Got it. Right. Horizon Technology Horizon. Finance Corp. Correct. Okay. I guess I'm. I, I I just typed it in. I'm guessing this is a BDC company 
that uh, invests in technology companies and has a high dividend yield. Am I right? Oh, 11.9% dividend. I swear, I, I closed my eyes. I did not guess. Invest in development stage companies in technology, life science, healthcare information. That's exactly what it is. $170 million market cap and 12% yield. So I'm guessing you're after that 12% yield, correct? You are correct. I don't currently own it, but the yield definitely caught my eye. And I know that sometimes these business development companies um, are not to be trusted. Well, that's certainly true. In good times, they tend to be fine uh, because the companies they're investing in get bought out. They eventually turn to profitability and their lending, which tends to be high risk lending, turns out to be profitable. When times are tougher, then their business of the businesses that they have invested in tends to go down. Many of them go bankrupt, right? Because they've borrowed a bunch of money from companies like this and banks, and they're just weren't able to turn a profit. They go bankrupt. And, you know, these, these type of uh, names take ownership of the business, right? Because they have claims on it, either through equity or through debt. So you're looking at a negative 32% cash dividend payout ratio, meaning that their free cash flow last quarter was negative 16.7 million. Uh, so they're going to, they would borrow money in order to continue to finance other companies, right? And that's the issue here, as what does their portfolio look like? This is the type of name that you really have to dig in. What companies are they financed and how well are those companies doing? In this world, from a technology and bioscience standpoint, some of those might be doing well. And some of those, if they own equity in them, they could be doing so well, it makes up for everything else. So you really have to do your homework here and understand their portfolio, look at the 10 Qs, really, really understand, listen to earnings calls, read earnings transcripts, et cetera. That will help you really unpack the, the health of the underlying businesses. But in general, in bad times like this, these companies are, 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 are tough. Uh, they, they tend to continue to go down because their underlying collateral value continues to go down. So uh, it may be worth the risk, but you really have to do a deep dive. And obviously, I can't do that right here. Thanks for the call, Bob. Uh, thanks for the call, Robert. We're going to talk to Bob in Sacramento next, but you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And yes, the economy is reopening in phases. Oh, I guess we're going to go to a break. So I'm ready to answer your questions with unbiased answers at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk, and some states are reopening. So how quickly could our economy come back to life? You've got finance and investment questions? Call Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Bob in Sacramento looking at SH, which is an ETF that goes short the S&P. Are you looking to buy it or do you own it? Yeah, um, I've been looking to buy it. I'm going to have a pretty large position. I'm hoping this week. I'm just waiting for the market to go up just a little bit more and then it should hit. But I was wondering, what do you think about if I just, I'm planning on buying it and holding it uh, till October or November? Mm-hmm. Do you think that would be a pretty smart move or... Yeah, I mean, I do think that if you watched my uh, YouTube uh, analysis uh, video uh, that I published on Friday, uh, you'll, you'll see that you know we hit support last week on the little sell-off. 
I didn't expect it to bounce this quick, but I did say I, I expect an up week or two into the end of the month and then uh, the market to roll over starting in, in June is when I'm expecting this, uh, this resumption of the, of the downtrend. Uh, but you know, we, we had an initial jump today that was pretty strong. So that may mean uh, that we could go just a little bit higher over the uh, coming you know, 9, 10, 11 days. So I would, uh, maybe I wouldn't jump in, but this is a good day, or maybe tomorrow, especially if you have another, another update, uh, a good time to add to this position a little bit more. You know, with 0% commissions, which hopefully you're at a broker that doesn't charge commissions, uh, you know, it, it makes sense to kind of leg into these kind of, uh, you know, 1%, 2% at a time uh, in order to get you up to what, you, what your target goal is. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think this is the time, but I, I don't think we're going to roll over, you know, right away. It could be wrong, but I, I, I don't think we're going to roll over right away. Fantastic. Thank you so much. No problem, Bob. Thanks for the call. Now, my main talking point today concerns the primer on quantitative easing. And we know that the world has been the world has been dominated by central banking since the financial crisis. And I want to go over a little bit how the government finances itself, how it can finance itself. And there are a lot of different models to financing the government. And we all know that a government extracts taxes from the economy, governs, then spends the money back into the economy in, in some ways. And how they spend it, how much they tax, where to spend it, this is something that is of much debate always, right? This is what politicians and citizens debate all the time. But in a lot of ways, that's semantics because you need to focus on how the government finances itself more broadly. Now, in the most simple form, governments borrow from their citizens, Right? And in an exchange, right, they take money from citizens, capital from citizens who invest in, in this case, treasuries in the U.S., and the government gives them IOUs. And that is extracting money from the economy, right? Because that person or institution who lent the money to the government could have put that money anywhere else. It could have invested in a business. It could have spent the money in the economy. And in this case, it's considered what's called crowding out. It crowds out. When you borrow money from your own people and institutions, you crowd out capital. And that can be a very bad thing, right? If you do it too much, you can't extract all the capital out of your, your, uh, your economy. Otherwise, there's no wealth left, right? So... That turns into the next type of model, which is once you run out of available capital within your own domestic economy, you turn to international borrowing. And that's where we've been for a very long time. And this is helpful because you're not extracting from your own domestic economy. You are pulling capital from outside your economy. And this is a very powerful tool, and it is abused and has been abused by the United States for a long, long time. Now, many emerging market countries do the same thing, right? Because they don't have much wealth. They don't have much capital within their, 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 uh, their borders, and they borrow from other countries, other investors, 
and they invested in their economy. Now, prudent countries, emerging market countries, they're productive with it, right? They buy, build infrastructure, and they get to a point where they have a current, current account surplus, meaning that they export goods and services, more goods and services than they actually import. And then they're able to pay back that money because suddenly they have more capital coming into their economy than going out. And then they can repay that debt. Now, unfortunately, most emerging market countries especially, they, they end up in a debt trap because they don't use that money productively. They fail to create that surplus and they still owe that foreign source of capital. And oftentimes they're borrowing in other currencies, dollars, euros, etc., meaning that default can be very, very high. So understand this, whenever you're investing in emerging market countries or emerging market debt, know that the majority of those countries are extracting this capital and they don't pay it back, right? Think of the Venezuelans of the world. So those are the first couple of ways. And after the break, I'm going to get into the third, which we're in today, right? We're in today, which is the QE world and how that may or may not feed into inflation and why it hasn't fed into great inflation so far. Now, the next Invest Talk, the story, at least six prominent tech companies are considered permanently moving a large percentage of their employees to work from home status. A good idea? That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. At the start of each new day, we are presented with opportunities. The chance to learn better ways of doing things. The prospect for establishing stronger business connections. But as you go about your daily routine, there's one task, one challenge you should not put off. The need to plan for and work toward achieving financial freedom. That point in the future when your money, your assets are working for you while you work only if you want to. Getting from here to there to your idea of financial freedom is possible. However, serious investors eventually recognize that unless they can afford to devote the time and efforts required to thoroughly understand market dynamics, to properly balance, optimize, and maintain their portfolios, expert guidance will be essential. The moment that spark of reality hits, you will want to consult with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein of KPP Financial in Irvine, California. KPP Financial consultations are unbiased, offered without cost or obligation, and designed to help guide individuals toward their ultimate financial objectives. The next highly beneficial step for your investing future can start when you reach out to Steve or Justin via Skype, a phone call, or a quick message through investtalk.com. You are listening to Invest Talk. The health of your financial future may depend on the decisions you start making now in 2020. Justin Klein is here, ready to provide his unbiased investment guidance, and the phone lines are open. 888 99 Chart. 
Hey guys, my name is Patrick. Hope you're doing well. Just want some information on investing in HLX. That's a Helix Energy Solutions. Shore undersea construction company with like the oil and gas industry in Texas. I know that gas and oil is a little low right now, but I figure this might be a good long-term hold for about a year or more. Just trying to get some insight on it. All right, thanks. Have a great day. I was looking at Helix Energy Solutions. HLX is the symbol. $352 million market cap. And you're right. They provide specialty services to the offshore energy industry in the Gulf of Mexico, North Sea, and Asia Pacific. Obviously, in this environment with oil prices so low that a lot of these offshore drilling sites become uneconomical. Now, it also costs a lot to shut these offshore sites down as well. So I, I'm sure there's some level to where there will be continued operations uh, because of the, you know, the sunk cost of actually shutting down a lot of these wells. Um, so part of their business will be somewhat insulated, and I do think oil prices will will rebound some, and that's a, that's certainly a, a good thing, and and will allow them to probably stick around for a little while. The issue here is that they do have a decent amount of debt on their balance sheet, about uh, three, call it $400 million in long-term liabilities and only about $159 million in cash and short-term securities. So net-net, about $250 million in debt and uh, markup, three forty-eight. So I would really need to understand how strongly their business has been impacted because of this. Uh, you know, you look at last quarter, Revenues are up 9%, even though profits were negative, uh, and they're expected to be this year and next, you know, it wasn't too bad. Uh, and if you look at their cash, free cash flow, it was negative 29 million, but in that environment, that's not too bad, even though oil prices, you know, they sink closer to, you know, the April timeframe. So it'll be really interesting to see how much of a loss they'll have in this quarter as well. I'd really look at those debt maturities. How soon does that debt mature? If it's this year or next year, I might say I'm worried about it. If they have uh, uh, debt maturities beyond 2021, maybe 2022 and, and farther, then I would say, okay, uh, because I think they could muddle through this. Um, but it's certainly high risk. I'd really need to do a deep dive into their maturity schedule and their balance sheet to understand whether this is going to be able to get to the other side. Um, because if, it, if obviously it can't, then you don't want to be investing in it. And the price of, what is it, $2 and... 35 cents, you know, it's not giving me a lot of optimism because it hasn't really rallied strongly enough. So, you know, I, I really have to do a deeper dive. These small companies, you really have to understand the business. They're not as obvious as a lot of your larger ones that are very consumer facing or been around for a long time. So, um, but I like the, I like the thought process at least. Let's touch on, go back to our main talking point. And that was, oh, what was that? Okay. So uh, our main talking point was about QE, and we went over uh, how governments finance themselves, right? And uh, typically you either extract it from capital within your economy, or in our case, for a long time, we extracted it from foreign governments. And we have now switched of, as of 2008, we switched to a QE model. And the QE model is when you run out of 
domestic and foreign lenders for borrowing and you basically print your own money. And this is, sorry, let's, let's back up a little bit. Now there's two ways, which two things you can do when you run out of domestic and foreign capital, right? You can go through a deflationary cycle by reducing spending, cutting entitlements, basically balancing your budget, hopefully creating a surplus. But once again, that is very deflationary. And that's typically not a chosen path that governments take because it's painful. An easier path, a more palatable path is you work with your central bank, especially when you can print your own money and you allow the government to finance your deficits. You monetize your deficits. And this is what United States has done, Japan, UK, Eurozone, all over the past few decades. You know, Japan was kind of the first one to do it. Now, what this allows governments to do is to continue spending, right? And so, if you just continue to, to go in their, their merry way and continue to spend in their normal pattern, it typically, it won't create inflation, right? Because it's not giving people a ton more money than they're already used to. It's just allowing them, the government to continue to give people money in the same way they did before, in the same quantity typically as before. And therefore, inflation doesn't really perk up. Now, back in 2008, when the Fed did this at a very large scale, they said that this was going to be temporary, right? They framed it as this temporary intervention, but we all know that never was unwound. And now, as a percentage of GDP, as a a percentage of uh, the economy, governments, our Federal Reserve total balance sheet and treasury holdings continue to rise dramatically, and now it's risen at an even faster clip. So they're printing money out of thin air. Go to Powell's interview yesterday, um, 60 Minutes, basically said that. And in return, the Treasury gives the Federal Reserve banknotes or treasuries, right? Assets. And in a lot of ways, it's semantics. Because we know that that is going to be permanent capital that is created and put into the system. So that's the first three models. And after this caller, I'm going to get into the MMT model and why we haven't seen inflation yet, but we probably will in the future. Let's go to Noel in Napa looking at Newmont. Noel, you there? Yeah, was, uh, hello, are you there, Justin? Yes, yes. Oh, okay, sorry. You're looking at Newmont? Uh, yeah, I was uh, wanting to add uh, GDX to my... Uh, account, been waiting for the uh, market correction, and and then I kind of remembered back when I lived in Colorado to, uh, there was a Newmont mine in, uh, in town, and and I thought uh, maybe that'd be a better play, just go directly into a, into Newmont mining, and uh, so what would be a good entry point for that? Uh, well, I, we like Newmont. We own that for, for clients. We've owned it for sometimes one of the best performing stocks uh, in the market uh, this year. And so uh, that's certainly helped us. And, and uh, we, we like Newmont. Um, 
you know, uh, you're certainly going into higher risk if you are investing in Newmont versus GDX, right? Because Newmont is one particular company. They have a set number of mines. If something happens with those mines, you know, that impacts Newmont more directly as opposed to GDX. You're getting a broad swath of large, mature, precious metal miners, right? So uh, the risk tolerance mm-hmm. there is definitely going to be a little bit different, but we, we, we like Newmont. Uh, the entry point for me is about $60. $60, now we're at 66 down about $1.64 today. Gold gold, and gold uh, miners were definitely overbought, uh, especially after the surge in silver miners uh, late last week. And uh, so I think we we're starting going to start to see some pullback here on these names. Uh, but I do like them. I do like Newmont. And uh, $60 is my entry point in Newmont. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Sid in Georgia. He's also looking at a gold miner, which is Kirkland Lake, another company that we own for clients and we have for some time. Uh, you, you looking to buy or do you own it? Hey, Justin. Yeah, sounds like I have a similar question to the last caller. Uh, I bought this one at about $42.50. Um, wondering if I should uh, get out because it looks like it's, it's not performing quite as well compared to, to GDX. Or if I should hold on to this one for a little while longer. Uh, we like Kirkland Lake. Uh, I, one thing I like about them is that their all their mines are here in North America, and from a risk reward standpoint, I like that. Uh, you know, mines. If you have too much exposure to mines in kind of these shady countries, right, that may or may not uh, respect your ownership rights of those mines. That can be an issue, uh, and so I, I like Kirkland because of that. Because they're all here in North America, so um, you know, yes, it's underperformed over the past week or two compared to GDX. Uh, but you know, GDX also has a lot of silver uh, companies that have both gold and silver exposure, and so you know, Kirkland is all gold. So uh, I, I still like Kirkland. We still own it for clients, and on um, pullbacks, would be continuing to add to it. So. That's our take. Thanks for the call, Sid. 888 chart 888 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, getting back to our talking point, and this is in regards, I really want to get to this because it's really important to see where we are at with, uh, with MMT. Uh, and we've already basically started it, right? We printed money, and as of, actually, Going back to September of last year, remember we had the repo madness where rates spiked? Basically what happened was that we ran very large deficits, especially starting in 2016. And we foreign buyers went away. Remember, foreign buyers for a long time were sources of capital for our deficit. And as of 2014, their net-net, they started to be sellers. And... Banks, banks started to fill the void here. And this allowed the government to continue to borrow more money every single year at a dramatic pace. And September last year is when kind of the rubber hit the road, where banks ran out of excess reserves to invest in treasuries. And so the Fed had to step in and start monetizing the debt once again. As of September 2019, U.S. banks held 21% of their assets in treasuries. 
and their cash levels were all the way down to just 7% of assets. So they ran out of reserves. Okay. So the Fed had two options is to allow interest rates to rise dramatically, which would mean governments would have to stop spending, uh, risk assets would fall. It would be just a disaster from a financial situation. Or they could do what they did, which was monetize the debt. But once again, that money was only going to hedge funds, pension funds, wealthy individuals. QE only hits Main Street when, by, by, only helps Main Street by helping existing government spending. Right, so treasury purchases. That's the only really way that it really hits Main Street. All other QE, right? Buying junk debt, buying corporate debt, buying mortgage-backed securities. This is all helping individuals, or not, sorry, not individuals, corporations, the wealthy, right? Because they're the ones that own these assets or relying on these assets to stay in business. So that's why you're not getting the inflation. Not only that, but there are some factors that are working against inflation. One is obviously globalization. We've talked about that, right? The other is onshoring, bringing in immigrants to work in, say, for example, low-income jobs, right? Agriculture, for example. Also, unprofitable businesses are deflationary. A lot of people think low interest rates are inflationary. They're not. They're actually deflationary because the hurdle rate for investment is very low and it allows for companies like Tesla and Uber and even Netflix who you know runs huge deficits to finance its content. They all are allowed to keep rates very, very low because they don't need to make a profit as long as new capital is being put in. But once new capital starts being put into these risky businesses, suddenly they have to make a profit. They have to raise prices. And so Low interest rates, easy financing is actually deflationary. Commodity prices went through a huge investment cycle in 2000, uh, in the mid 2000s. Remember during the, the last, before the last financial crisis, remember peak oil and all this big commodity boom? Well, there was a lot of investment and we've reaped the rewards of all that investment over the last decade or so because of all that investment back in that time for new capacity. So that's been deflationary as well. And then wealth concentration. Wealth concentration has been extremely deflationary. Why? Well, if you give a trillion dollars to 10,000 to, to a million people, say you give $10,000 to each, they're going to go out and spend it, right? But if you give a trillion dollars to 100 billionaires, they're not going to do much with it. Right? Because they, they their marginal propensity to spend is very, very low. So that has been very deflationary. The wealth gap is massive, and it's, uh, it's, it's just been growing and growing over the past 20 or 30 years, and a lot of that has to do with government, or sorry, Federal Reserve policy, and that has been extremely deflationary. That's what's funny about the Fed, is they want inflation, but their policies are almost always deflationary. Pretty wild. Are you listening to InvestDoc? Oh, sorry. Let me go back to this one last time. So we will see inflation when Fed policy enables governments to, to, to get money in the pockets of non-wealthy individuals. 
right? People who have a higher propensity to spend. And that could be just giving people checks. It could be an infrastructure bill that puts low-income people to work. There are a lot of factors that will create inflation, but they have not implemented very many so far. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. This is Invest Talk. I want to hear from you. I want to help you achieve your goal of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart. On the next Invest Talk, six prominent tech companies are considering permanently moving a large percentage of their employees to work from home status. That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here. He'll have unbiased answers, but you've got to call with your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Chase in Illinois looking at Oshkosh Corporation. You looking to buy it or do you own it? I'm looking to buy it. Hey, Justin, thanks for taking my call, by the way. Of course, of course. What, uh, what do you like about this name? I was looking at it from a, I guess, from a value stock standpoint. Um, I thought its fundamentals looked pretty good. Um, I mean, I'm relatively new to value investing. And I guess using like the dish discount cash flow formula, I thought it seemed like potentially a company I'd want to get into. However, however, since it is in the industrial sector, I'm a little, little concerned about if we're in the early stages of a recession, whether it's a good time to get into it. And I want to get your thoughts on it overall. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's my sentiment really, uh, is yes, it is relatively cheap and they have a good balance sheet, right? Very minimal debts uh, on their, on their balance sheet compared to, uh, their total assets. So I, I like that and positive free cash flow last quarter, even in a, a tough environment where revenue fell 10%, earnings fall 31% does yield 1.8%, which is nice. Uh, but they have you know, decent exposure to the non-residential construction space, which I think is going to fall off a cliff fall off a cliff. So, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of cyclicality here and you're seeing that, uh, here in the, in the numbers, even, even before COVID fourth quarter of last year, revenue fell 6%, earnings fell 32%. Uh, you know, a lot of people think COVID was the reason the economy fell off a cliff and ensured it was, but it was already kind of declining, uh, in the first quarter anyway, but nonetheless, Oshkosh is very cyclical. Uh, so I like what you're looking at. I like the company. Its long-term profitability metrics are, are very solid. It tends to be return equity in the mid to high teens, which is uh, the, the, the type of area of, of profitability I like to see. But technically, it looks still relatively weak. The bounce has not been uh, that fantastic. You have relative strength of 46, which is you know weaker than the overall market. So I would keep it on my watch list. Uh, I would be looking for this name definitely closer to the 45 level. It found that's the 200-day moving at monthly moving average, and it found support there back in 2016, also in 2012-13. So that's an area that I think would would uh, make uh, the best buy point. So 45 is where I would think about picking up Oshkosh. Let's go to Abel in Florida. Let's talk about investing. Hi, uh, thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate you guys' uh, show. Um, I have a que- I have two questions. Um, one in regards to VTSAX. 
I'm thinking about buying. So I just want to hear a little bit, a little bit of your thoughts in regards to that one. And Wolf. RTX. RTX. Well, that you're just uh, you're just looking at the Vanguard total stock market index. So you're just indexing. If you want to do that, that's fine. Low right. fees. You don't want to do a lot of work. Uh, you know that that's one way to go. Uh, then you're also looking at Raytheon. Raytheon. We actually discussed this on our morning call this morning uh, with my team uh, and Steve. Is not a big fan of the defense sector when it comes to bombs and bullets and planes and tanks. It's just not where I think the government spending is going to come from. I, I do think we're in a war with foreign nations, especially China, but it's a digital war. It's a financial war, right? It's not a bombs war. It's not what we call a hot war. So unless we think that the you know the Fed the the, the, the Trump has already spent a bunch of money on defense, right? That was one of his first spending bills was on defense. And so the money in defense is going to go towards IT far more than it's going to go to missile systems and you know planes, etc. I think that is behind us, especially now we have a four or five trillion dollar deficit. Money is going to need to go to individuals, people that are struggling, right? Those that made under $50,000 and 40% of those are unemployed. Okay. So I'm not a fan of, of Raytheon or a lot of the defense names unless they have a very strong focus on the IT sector. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I return on Thursday. VPs will be here tomorrow. And please remember to download our April bonus show. We call it the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. It's free. Please tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.